Chapter 36 of Anglo-American Memories by George Washburn Smalley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 36. Queen Victoria at Balmoral, King Edward at Dunrobin, Admiral Sir Hedworth Lambton, other anecdotes. Embercald, of which Lord Glenesk was long tenant, lies near Balmoral, a name famous the world over as the highland home of Queen Victoria and then of the late king a castle on which the very german taste of the very german husband of the great queen has left its mark it is no more a fine castle than buckingham palace is a fine palace it stands however in a beautiful country and some of the best drives within easy reach are those on the Embercald property they are private but all gates swing open to kings and queens the privacy was one thing the queen liked so long as she was in the highlands the loyalty of her subjects was expected to manifest itself by ignoring her presence if you saw the sovereign approaching you effaced yourself you slipped behind a tree or looked over the hedge or retied your shoelaces you might do anything except be aware of this august lady's presence and recognize it by the usual salute and the bared head as she went by the queen was ever as her son was insistent upon etiquette no form of ceremony must be neglected but at balmoral the etiquette consisted in the absence of all form or ceremony outdoors you were expected to know this and if you did not know it but stood at attention with lifted hat this mark of homage would not be well received i once heard a stranger who had offended in this way say that the look upon the queen's face as she passed was a lesson not to be forgotten her majesty drove quietly about in a pony carriage with perhaps the ever faithful john brown in attendance to lay a shawl about her shoulders or take one off as he judged best you might see him do as much as that in the publicity of hyde park in london it was partly in the simplicity of this highland life that the queen found repose her majesty would sometimes stop at invercald house for tea apparently as one neighbour appealing to the hospitality of another but i imagine these impulses were announced beforehand and that the list of guests at invercald was known at balmoral during one week there was among them a lady who for purely technical reasons was never received at court though she went almost everywhere else in london and had and has a position almost unique but so long as this lady remained at invercald house the queen found herself too much occupied with business of state to come to tea royalty knows or knows about almost everybody the late king was always the best informed man in his dominions it was rare that he met a man or woman whose face and history were not familiar to him he did once at dunrobin castle this was not many years ago when the king and queen were circumnavigating this island part of their empire in the royal yacht the yacht anchored for some days in the bay off the castle the king or queen or both came ashore during the day and returned to sleep on board as the king the duke of sutherland and captain hedworth lambton commander of the yacht were walking up from the pier through the gardens to the castle a man passed them who is that asked the king the duke had to admit he could not tell 
oh sir said captain lambton don't you know the castle is full of people whom the duke doesn't know and the duchess never sees the king took this pleasantry as it was meant aware that there was beneath it just that evanescent adumbration of fact which made it plausible captain lambton then the honourable hedworth lambton brother to the present earl of durham is now admiral the honourable sir hedworth lambton k c b the youngest man of his rank in the service or was when he was made admiral noted for the quaint felicity of his sayings sometimes with an edge to them noted for his service with the naval brigade in south africa and the relief of ladysmith noted as a skilful seaman who had commanded the cruiser division of the mediterranean fleet and afterward the china squadron the lamptons are a family apart and sir hedworth is a man apart even amid his own family there are few men who give you a stronger impression of having made their own that rule of life which consists in taking things as they come struggling through the watercourses of the veldt with his four point ten gun or on the quarter-deck of the royal yacht in harbour with only duties of ceremony to perform he was the same man he came to dalmany house for the week-end while the victoria and albert was lying at queen's ferry on the sunday morning he asked lord rosebery and his house-party to go with him to the yacht for morning service we drove through the charming park to the lichfield gate and so to queensferry pier whence a launch took us on board the yacht has a displacement of something more than five thousand tons those external lines of beauty which you expect in a yacht had been omitted by the admiralty designers responsible for this vessel but once on board everything is admirable the ship was lying in the fourth above the bridge waiting for queen alexandra to embark for copenhagen nothing could be smarter than the decks and crew except the officers all in full uniform it was august and though some americans say the sun never shines on these islands there are moments of exception and this was one it was burning hot captain lambton read the service his officers and guests about him the men in front all amidships on the upper deck he came to the lord's prayer the sailors all kneeling and all caps off in the very middle of it without a change of intonation or accent he said to his men if anybody feels the sun they may put their caps on i suppose a super devout churchman might have been shocked but the reader was captain of the ship and he had no idea of allowing one of his men to have a touch of sunstroke it appears they were in no danger for not one of them put on his cap nor did any one seem to think his captain's interlocutory sentence out of place i have seen often enough both in the navy and in the army that the most rigid disciplinarian may be of all others the most careful of his men's health and comfort in these dreadnought days nothing of the pre-dreadnought period counts but i was once on i believe the first dreadnought of a type long since antiquated with a low freeboard forward and the whole expanse of the forecastle deck so arranged as to be with reference to the rest of the vessel a lever on which the atlantic might pile itself up i asked the captain what might happen in a heavy head sea the chances are he answered coolly she would go down head foremost however at the moment she was comfortably anchored off queensferry 
that danger exists no longer for the model is obsolete and this particular ship no doubt went long since to the scrap heap but the unsolved problems of naval warfare are still numerous a fighting admiral in the british navy will tell you strange things if he happens to be in a talkative mood nothing is better worth listening to than the discourse of a man who has command of a great fleet or of a great ship whether of war or commerce i quote one sentence you want to know what is likely to happen when two modern battle fleets meet at sea equal in fighting strength and under equal conditions no man knows it has never yet happened but the chances are both would go to the bottom out of many highland incidents i choose one for brevity's sake invermark a place renowned for many kinds of sport salmon fishing included it belonged when i knew it to the late lord dalhousie who generally led it and confined himself to brecon castle with excursions to panmer house invermark was a lodge and nothing more just room for half a dozen guests and their guns and servants lord dudley and the late lord hindlip had it together one year lord hindlip was the head of the great brewery firm of alsop and company he announced to us one night at dinner that he must go to london next morning on business he went returning two days later he had spent twelve hours in london somebody said i hope your business turned out all right lord hindlip answered i don't know about all right i bought seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds three million seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of hops a price which makes it impossible there should be any profit in the next twelve months brewing nobody asked but everybody looked another question then why buy lord hindlip continued his sentence as if he had not noticed our curiosity but if i had not bought yesterday there would have been no brewing of beer at all for the next twelve months or perhaps ever this was one of the houses perhaps only those belonging to the great brewers where beer was served with the cheese instead of port but not the kind of beer known to the ordinary mortal beer especially brewed long kept tenderly cared for and somehow transformed into a transcendental fluid transparent golden in color nectar to the taste strangely mild on the palate but swiftly finding its way to the brain if you were ensnared into drinking a tumblerful there was nothing to warn you unless your host warned you which he generally did not he perhaps rather pressed it upon you as they do the audit ale at trinity college cambridge with a hospitality not free from guile that i knew through the late mr justice denham who was my host and when i resisted he told me how lord chancellor campbell had praised the mildness of the ale and had a second drink and then a third and upon emerging from the buttery into the fresh air found himself embarrassed he the hardest head at the bar of his time a story which i hand on as a warning to the next comer End of chapter thirty six